This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, would you send your spirit to move among us, opening our hearts to the truth of the word that he inspired. And that by your same spirit, Lord, I pray that you would transform our imaginations and our wills. So come and manifest your presence among us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Quite a few years ago, I sensed that the Lord was leading me to wear clericals whenever I was flying to or from ministry events. Now, as an introvert, I was okay with this arrangement from the Lord, since dressing like a priest or a bishop rarely flings conversational doors open on airplanes. For some reason, when a priest or more so a bishop sits down next to you on your flight, Rarely does that prompt you to say, so, Father, let me talk. (laughs) Every now and again, however, some curious unchurched person um, or curious Anabaptist asks about my attire, which inevitably leads to this question eventually. So, what exactly do bishops do? Now, I'm still looking for an answer that will elicit something more than, oh, (laughs) or that's nice, or both of them together. So imagine for a moment that you sit down next to somebody on a plane who's dressed in this kind of white robe, long beard. You sit down, introduce yourself. Hi, I'm so-and-so. And the person next to you says, hi, I'm Jesus. And eventually your conversation gets to the point of, what do you do? And you say to Jesus, what do you do? And he says, I'm the Messiah. To which your next question would be, what exactly does a Messiah do? So how do you imagine the rest of that conversation going? Well, if you're an Anglican formed by our liturgy, I would expect that you would think that Jesus would say to you, first and foremost, something about his death on the cross for your sins. Our liturgy sets us up for that. We say, in obedience to your will, he stretched out his arms upon the cross and offered himself once for all that by his suffering and death we might be saved. Or in the other Eucharistic prayer, All praise and glory is yours, O God, our Heavenly Father, for in your tender mercy you gave your only Son, Jesus Christ, to suffer death upon the cross for our redemption. He made there by his one oblation of himself once offered a full, perfect, and sufficient sacrifice, oblation, and satisfaction for the sins of the whole world. Well, it's hard to miss the point. So I would imagine that in our minds, we would think that the first thing that Jesus would lead with is the job of the Messiah is to go to the cross and die for the sins of the world. 
that would be perfectly valid. Yes, Jesus would say that. We might also imagine that Jesus tells us that part of the job of the Messiah is to overcome death by rising from the dead. And we would say, yes, that's true. In fact, our liturgy says, by his resurrection, he broke the bonds of death, trampling hell and Satan under his feet. Now, for many of us, we sort of imagine that that's kind of like the end of the conversation. Jesus would say, I died, I rose, that's what messiahs do. However, that's not all that Messiah does. In fact, the Feast of the Ascension reminds us that there's more to the job of the Messiah than the cross and the resurrection. Jesus' ascension means at least these four things to us. That part of the job description of the Messiah is that he is king, he's high priest, he's quartermaster, don't get offended yet, I'll come back to that one, and bridegroom. He's king, he's priest, he's quartermaster, and bridegroom. The first thing to note about the ascension is that in spite of the humongous painting hanging in front of us, the primary thing about Jesus' ascension is not the clouds. and It's not even the angels. The primary thing about Jesus' ascension is that he's raised to be seated at the right hand of the Father. Paul says it this way, God has raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. The meaning of the ascension isn't just that Jesus, poof, disappeared. The meaning of the ascension is that Jesus not only has risen from the dead, but has ascended to the right hand of the Father. He's seated on the throne of the universe as king. And not just to any king. God has given him a name above all names. Any name on heaven, any name on earth, any name under the earth. And he goes on to say in Philippians, and that every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth, must bow the knee and declare that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, if you're seated on the airplane next to the Messiah, you might think, whoa, that's pretty cool. So let me get this right. You are the absolute, unquestionable, exponentially greater, infinitely greater king of the universe. And Jesus would say, yes, I am. John, in the book of Revelation, reveals Jesus on the throne, exalted and worshipped by representatives of every language, tongue, tribe, and nation. Part of the job description of the Messiah is to be the exalted king of all creation who is actively engaged in putting all his enemies under his feet. 
second thing that Jesus would say to us, the second aspect of his job description, is that he's the great high priest. The writer of the book of Hebrews sees the ascension through the lens of this priesthood that is better than the priesthood of Aaron in the Old Testament. The writer says that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And he goes on. And since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. We learn that this throne upon which Jesus sits is the throne of grace to which we can come in time of need, and that Jesus lives, sits on this throne in the presence of the Father to make intercession for us. And so not only does Jesus die on the cross to save us from our sins, but he sits in the presence of God interceding for us as our high priest. And so every need we have, every sin we commit, we bring to the throne of grace and receive help and forgiveness. For those of us who believe in the Messiah, he's not only our king, but our priest and our intercessor. The exalted, all-powerful king of the universe is on our side. He's for us. He offers us grace in the time of need, intercedes for us, and forgiveness when we confess. The third aspect then, along with being king and priest, is that the job of the Messiah includes being the quartermaster. Now, I realize that sounds a little sacrilegious, so give me two minutes before you call Archbishop Foley. In the army, the job of the quartermaster is to provide all the equipment that soldiers need to do their mission. So, Jesus is the quartermaster. What does Jesus provide for us? Well, he provides individually to us and to us as a church corporately the Holy Spirit. He equips each of us and all of us together for ministry in the church giving us the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12. And he empowers us as his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. We are equipped by the Spirit for ministry in the body and equipped as witnesses for those that don't know Jesus. And he's equipped the church as a whole with leaders, he says in Ephesians 4, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. And so Jesus, who is our king, and Jesus, who is our priest, also is the one who provides all that we need to do what he's called us to do. And... He's also our bridegroom. The ascension point, points to the promise that Jesus made in the upper room, where he says, if I go to the Father, I will be preparing a place for you. 
And I wouldn't have told you that I was preparing a place unless I was planning on coming back to bring you to where I am. Now the image behind that is the image of the bridegroom in Jesus' day. Once the bridegroom and the bride-to-be were betrothed, the job of the bridegroom was to go back home to his father's house and build a house, build rooms for his bride and their new family. And so they would extend it or they would build a new house or whatever, but the job of the bridegroom was to build the house and then come back for his bride. That's when the wedding would take place. So Jesus has said that part of the meaning of the ascension is that he is heading off to prepare the place he will then come back and bring us to be with him forever. So, it might take a pretty long flight for Jesus to explain all of this to you as you're flying next to him. Because that's a pretty amazing job description. Not only does he die for our sins, not only does he rise from the dead, but he reigns as our king. He sits in the presence of God, interceding for us as our high priest. He equips us with everything that we need to do his mission, and one day he will come back for us to take us home, to live with him forever as his beloved. Wow. That's the job of the Messiah. And that's the story of grace beginning to end. Let me give you one final thought at no extra charge. I want you to think beyond three dimensions. Jesus' throne doesn't exist somewhere up in space. Right? Jesus' throne is not at the edge of some galaxy billions of light years from here. When Jesus ascended up into heaven, it wasn't a physical ascension. It was a way of saying to the disciples, you need to know that something's happening. I mean, Jesus could have just simply gone poof, right? Didn't need a three-dimensional representation of it. But Jesus' throne doesn't exist in our space-time continuum. It doesn't exist within the boundaries and limitations of three dimensions. It exists beyond that. The new heavens and the new earth are not going to be refurbished, present heaven and present earth. Some of you are old enough to remember flip phones. The new heaven and the new earth is not a refurbished flip phone. It's not like God says, you know, well, all right, we'll get rid of sin, but basically you have all the same limitations, all the same everything on earth. It's in a different dimension. It's like Jesus says, I'm going to the Father, and when I come back, I'm going to give you an iPhone 195X. Now, what will an... iPhone 195X be able to do? I have no idea. 
Because when I had a flip phone, if you had told me at that point that in just a decade, I would be able to type a question into my phone, and my phone would do the research that it would take a thousand people a thousand years to do, and it would pop up immediately on a magical screen, and it would tell me, brag about how fast it did it, right? You Google something, Google comes back and says, there are 1.7 million results. And oh, by the way, I did it in 0.23 seconds. Just saying. <laughs> right? That's the only reason Google tells you how fast it did it. So I don't know what an iPhone 195X will do. It'll do everything that my flip phone does. It'll still allow me to communicate with people far away. At that point, it might just beam me there. Call mom. No problem. I disappear and I appear in mom's living room. And we have a conversation. Call Sherry. And now I'm back home. I don't know how it's going to work. It'll do everything it can do now and so much more. So I want you to picture the reign and rule of Jesus, not in three dimensions, but infinitely, beyond your imagination. And in that place, unbound by space and time, Jesus is our king. Jesus is our priest. Jesus is the one who provides for all that we need to do his mission. And Jesus is our bridegroom, waiting for the day that he comes back to take us home forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I don't know which part of this everyone needs to hear, but you do. You know deep in our hearts what part of this message we need to connect with. And so I pray that by your Spirit, you would be doing that in our hearts, our minds, our imaginations. That you would give us grace to receive all that you have for us. We pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen.